You're listening to the EdUp Experience, where we make education your business. On this episode of the EdUp Experience, we welcome Dr. Mel Netzhammer, Chancellor of Washington State University, Vancouver. Mel instituted a strategic plan focused on research excellence, student success, growth, diversity and equity, and contributing to the betterment of the community. On this episode, hear Mel talk about students in the grieving stage, how speaking out against injustice is our responsibility, and how the Portland protests have affected his students and his campus. Now, let's get to it. Welcome back, everybody. This is the EdUp Experience. Joe Salustio here. This is Elizabeth Leiba. And on the line, we have Dr. Mel Netzhammer, Chancellor of Washington State University, Vancouver. Mel, uh, thanks for being with us. And uh, how are you doing today? I'm doing just fine. It's a great day. It's Friday. And uh, glad to be closing out the week with you. Well, we're we're glad to have you here. It's a it's an honor, sir. And uh, you know, before we jump into things, uh, we always uh, like to ask our guests as we're living in times of of uh, a global pandemic. How is your health? How how is your family? How's your your circle? You know, and your community doing uh, handling this uh, this virus? Uh, you know, I think uh, pretty good. It is certainly a, a strange time, and I'm guessing we'll talk more about that. I. Um, uh, my partner and I have been pretty isolated. I have been to campus three times since March 13th, and so feeling maybe a little too isolated, um, but uh, everyone is in good health, and um, I just miss the, the social contact. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I, I know I do, Liz. I think you do, too. I think we all mm-hmm. do. Um, and, you know, I'm from, uh, I live in California. We've just gone backwards recently to uh, closing the state back down completely. So, you know, yeah, the minute yeah. you think it's getting better, it seems not to, to get better. Um, so, so that's an interesting point. Let's start there. Uh, you know, you uh, primarily had an on-ground campus. You had some, uh, some online, but you had a lot of students attending on-ground. Um, be, and the staff all on ground. And I think that's a, you know, how has your staff uh, and you dealt with the transition uh, to moving to remote work uh, and not being on campus, but still having to communicate and service students? Uh, you know, your, your question is timely. I guess it would have been timely for the last four months, but it's uh, particularly timely today because we did a virtual student forum on uh, Wednesday. Of, of this week, and it was uh, the first uh, time we had about 300 students who uh, connected um, uh, over 100 questions, uh, mostly related to what the fall is is going to, to look like, and that's uh, been, been interesting. The, um, the start of this, you know, on... Um, March 13th, we announced that um, at spring break, which was coming up three days later, um, that we would be coming back all online after that. And uh, shortly after that, we announced that uh, 
all of our um, faculty and staff would be uh, teleworking as well. And it, uh, other institutions were, were pivoting just like uh, we were, but it, it was extraordinary how quickly people just were able to adapt and, and move. And uh, we have certainly had bumps and challenges and it's been difficult, but uh, the, there's been a lot of patience and a lot of goodwill uh, that has certainly made my job, uh, I don't want to say easier, um, but uh, yeah, that'd be a heck of a thing to say now. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know that it, it's good to know that your your community is supporting you as you're you're going through these changes, and and so that was. Um, I, I think we started in a good place, and the the work continues. Uh, it has been hard not being on campus, and one of the reasons I brought up the uh, student forum was because. We're hearing, uh, I, I think we're in the grieving stage is, is what I would say, that uh, our students who graduated did not expect this to be what their last semester was going to look like. They didn't get a commencement. They um, didn't even really get to see the rest of their classmates and say goodbye. And students coming in are coming into something they totally didn't expect when they thought about going to um, to college or to university. And so part of what the student forum was about um, was really to pause and say, uh, we know that you're grieving about the circumstances that we're in at the moment, and we're grieving with you um, and, and feeling the same things. That's really an interesting way to put it. We, we've had uh, a lot of guests on this show, um, presidents, uh, CEOs, uh, chancellors, uh, what have you, um, talking about gap years, uh, virtual graduation, student unrest and concerns. To hear you put it in, in the terms of grieving is really interesting. And when you really think about it, that's I guess it's kind of uh, what it is, right? I mean, the, the I, and I always uh, personalize this a little bit. I got my uh, my I finished my doctorate at the end of last mm. year. I was supposed to Yay. have a graduation in August. Yeah, thanks, Liz. She shares for me every time. Um, but, uh, <laughs> I do. But, uh, yeah. My my wife she's she's in the other room. Don't don't say anything. But I tell her she's the only one that has to call me Doctor Salustio. Everybody else can just call me Joe. But she, that's no. I call I call you Doctor. I call you Doctor Joe. Get out of here. Anyway. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway. So I was supposed to have graduation in August, and so I didn't get to. You know, I'm not going to go. My kids aren't going to go. They were going to be there, and I went. Ah, oh, I'm bummed. And I, I had a couple of weeks where I was just, uh, you know, bummed about it. Not for me, but for the kids. Then you take that and roll that back to, uh, uh, you know, a kid in a senior year finishing up. You know, you want to say goodbye to all your classmates, and how profound. Um, and emotional it must be not to have things happen and and what what does that look like and how do you deal with that and if you're coming in you know uh, a lot of nerves and, and and all of that how, how is I mean the question here is how are you dealing with all that 
how is your staff dealing with those things? I mean, some are, you can't even overcome them. So you must have, you're almost acting as psychiatrists in a way to, to talk students to those issues. Uh, how have you prepared or, or dealt with your staff to deal with these types of things? So, so there is definitely a mental health component to, to this. And um, we're, we're trying to keep that front and, and center. Um, I'll, I'll answer your question. I think there's also an equity component to this that, that we're, we're having to deal with because um, of the inequities in internet access and ownership of technology and things like that. And so um, how we provide the experience is something we, we really have to uh, attend to. The, we have tried to think creatively about how do you engage students differently over, over the summer. And this student forum was one of the ways we were trying to do that. Um, we uh, have uh, had phone calls. You know, we sort of divided up all of our new students and have reached out to them uh, to have personal phone calls, to do check-ins, to, to see how they are doing. The um, rate of reaching students is actually quite high when people are still isolating at home and, uh, and they want to talk to us. And um, so we tried to connect that way. Um, as a system within WSU, we've done some uh, new student receptions where uh, they're all virtual, but it's students from all across the, the state of Washington or all across the country have uh, logged in and um, just connected in these social kinds of environments that, that we're creating for them. Uh, all of our orientation programs have moved online, and we are uh, looking at um, different ways of connecting with those students. So how do we put them into breakout groups with a student ambassador in a, a more intimate setting that is, is meaningful to, to them as, as they go through it? But I think the, the big thing is tripling, quadrupling the points of contact that we have with students traditionally um, during, during this summer to uh, let them know that we're still excited to see them, that we are going to provide them an excellent education, um, that it's going to look so different than where we were a year from now. Uh, if there was ever a better time for me to transition than my co-host, Liz, I think this would be it because he said lots that I know you want to you want to ask about. <laughs> yeah, I'm like all over it because I, I I'm so interested in your leadership style, the, the what you foresee, and the initiatives that you have developed under your um, your appointment at your uh, college at your university. Tell me a little bit about your strategic plan, because I, I know that um, that was developed under your leadership and you have that focus on like the student success element, which is near and dear to my heart as a faculty member and the growth, especially as well the diversity and equity, because that speaks to what we're going through now as a country. We're tackling COVID. We have a lot of questions about social justice and inequity. And I, I saw also that you guys had um, your school was uh, recognized at the end of last year 
in terms of um, being uh, innovative and um, focusing on diversity. Tell me a little bit about how this strategic plan has informed your leadership and, and that diversity piece is especially interesting to me and how that's something that has been intentional to the point where you were able to be awarded and it's something that um, you have focused on with your faculty and with your students and with your administration in making that a key component of your plan. Sure. Um, you know, let me um, tell you a little bit about um, my campus um, because I think it will help you understand uh, the, the strategic plan. The, uh, so uh, we're, we're just coming out of our 30th anniversary. So in higher ed Congrats. years, we are still toddlers. Uh, May 10th, 1989 was our, uh, our founding date by the legislature. And uh, the idea behind our campus was to create, uh, uh, so Washington State University existed in Pullman, it's 129 years old. And um, the, the idea was to expand uh, accessibility to higher education by creating three, then now four, um, additional Washington State University campuses across uh, the, the state. And so uh, we're right here in Vancouver, Washington, uh, part of the Portland metropolitan area. And um, the idea was for us to create accessibility for uh, people in this region. And so even now, 30 years later, uh, we don't have residence halls. You know, we are still primarily serving the community of Southwest Washington. 90% of our students come to us from Southwest Washington and 95% of our students stay in this region when, when they graduate. And so I think there has always been a sense that we are, um, providing an education to um, students who might not other, to, not just students, the, well, I guess when they come to us, they're students. Um, but mm -hmm. the, um, We're all the, students the average the game, age, now. <laughs> that, now. That's very true. I'm, I'm still a student. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but but the, the average age of our undergrad is 26. And so they are coming to us with life experience with um, uh, about a third of our students come to us directly from high school, about two thirds of our students transfer in. Uh, they wanna be part of that uh, Washington State University uh, education. Uh, and they, um, it, it, it's very much about accessibility and about preparing our students uh, for the workforce in, in this area. And so long before I got here, those pieces of a WSU Vancouver education were in the DNA of, of the campus. And that means that there needed to be a social justice component to this, this work as well. And so, that's that's what I inherited when I came in 2012, and uh, so we started uh, as the 
strategic plan I inherited was expiring, we started the uh, the planning for our next strategic plan. And really, uh, there were two key pieces that we knew from the start needed to be in that plan. One was community engagement, and the other was um, equity and inclusion. And the and and it, it it was essential to the campus community in how how our community uh, internally views our place in in Southwest Washington and for our broader community. We had over 150 people outside of. WSU Vancouver, who were engaged in in helping us put this plan together and participated in in that work. And uh, one one of the things, uh, and and I take responsibility for for this. Um, you know, when I came in, we had a strategic plan. It was a good strategic plan. It it wasn't necessarily as strategic as I might have liked it. To be, uh, but as I was sort of defining my own leadership style and thinking about uh, the direction that our campus was go going to go, I um, didn't pay too much attention to it, and people didn't really mind that at the time. But then, when when I started saying, "All right, now we're going to do this next strategic plan." It absolutely came back to haunt me, and you know, people were saying, well, "You didn't use the last one. Why are we going to plan do another plan and put it on the shelf?" <laughs> you know? Oh wow! And it it was a legitimate criticism, and mm -hmm. so one of our mantras became, "We need to use it and fund it." And if we're going to go put the community through this planning process, we need to make sure that we are going to use this strategic plan and that we are going to Fund it, and uh, to answer your question, we absolutely um, have used this plan to guide us over the last five years, and we're about to start planning the successor plan. Um, I had a meeting this morning just about that, and and so the um, as we began to do that work, uh, looking at our community, we knew that we needed to take this through an equity lens. Um, when I came in, we um, had a, uh, a, a just a wonderful leader in student affairs who was uh, responsible for student equity and inclusion initiatives and led the Student Diversity Center. And um, I stole half of her and created a, a chief diversity officer position for our campus. And she began to develop that, that position. And then in uh, the year that we put the new strategic plan in place, we created a um, full-time cabinet level uh, associate vice chancellor for uh, diversity, equity, equity and inclusion uh, position and in that same year, we created, um, and, and it has evolved, Obi Ford III is that person, and it has evolved under his leadership. But as he was coming in, we were creating what we call base training, B-A-C-E, building a culture of equity. 
and um, that became the the framework. And we you know we we look at equity broadly, but we also look at equity through uh, the the lens of race. And I think that has been important for our our campus community as as well. Um, and and so. The, the other work, the student success work, the um, faculty research and, and the faculty and staff experience, we really have tried to increasingly um, use an equity lens as we um, look at uh, the experiences of the members of our, our community. So that, that has been a big piece of this. And then the community engagement piece was the other piece that we knew we needed to have. And that is how we exist in our community. You know, since we're only 30 years old, that means the people who fought to get us here are largely still alive and they have expectations for us. And, and so um, that is the other piece that is, uh, I think, really built into the, the identity of, of the campus. That's awesome. And you've been really vocal, it seems like, uh, lately, or in the news lately, in terms of speaking out for the international students as well to add to the value on your campus. Can you tell us a little bit about that and, and how that informs your decision-making for your campus and, and how you include them as you move forward? Um, Yes, you know, I, um, I, um, after the, uh, so let me say that um, I, on, on many issues, I, I speak out to, to my campus um, and the, as issues of national importance um, come up, I um, do I, I I am inclined to um, express my my feelings to the to to our community, and so I haven't shied away from that. I um, in, in since the the killing of George Floyd, I um, have written a bit and uh, the. One of the things that really um, struck me uh, was an article in the Chronicle of Higher Education by two faculty members who were talking about how safe and tepid most of the responses were from mm -hmm. higher education leaders uh, mm -hmm. about racial injustice. And um, I didn't, this is so much a part of our campus community, I didn't want my statements to uh, be perceived as equivocating or um, watered down or, um, <laughs> and I reflect safe, on this a lot. Right, safe. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But you're right, you're right. I mean, it's important to do that, right? To speak out when you see things that you know aren't right. Yes, I, I, I think that's right. And I um, sent a, uh, two weeks ago now, sent uh, a letter out that was, I would say, a little bit more guarded, but not much, uh, to our 13,000 alumni and donors, and um, took some heat, and um, 
I also uh, expected it to be worse than it was. So that's not bad, you know. Uh, the six six people who were very very angry with with my letter, but uh, we have to be on the right side of history is how I'm feeling right now, and that that opportunity to I'm in a unique position to be able to uh, speak about racial injustice and have um, the the platform to be able to. Uh, call it out. And so I, I do try to live that personally. And I have an incredible team of leaders around me who make it safer for me and also push me in, in that direction. Hey everyone, this is Joe just reminding you to check out our website at www.edupexperience.com where you can find and explore all of the content that we've released under the EdUp Experience brand, including multiple podcast series, EdUp Elites, EdUp Embedded, and EdUp Experts. You can also suggest topics or guests for our podcast. Then head over to YouTube, check out our channel, The EdUp Experience, and you're going to find that my amazing co-host, Elizabeth Liba has started a new web series called EdUp Unplugged, where she talks about racism in America with special guests coming on that web series. We've got a lot going on at the EdUp Experience. Again, check out our website at www.edupexperience.com. Now let's get back to our guest. You're also, and just to add this in, and we all know this, Portland, uh, the, uh, the city of Portland continues to be um, you know, a, a, a active uh, community in terms of, uh, uh, um, you know, continuing to speak out about George Floyd and uh, protests and such. And so is there added pressure uh, to get in the game with your comments because of the, the continuing uh, protests and such versus, you know, if you're in another city where things have already quieted down a lot faster than, than anyone thought they would. Uh, so do you, is there public pressure in that way? Our students are, we're seven miles away. So our students are uh, the people who you are seeing in, in those protests. And um, the, uh, we had two of our students on this side who did one of the most uh, eloquent protests that I, I saw. Um, they did a car rally for Black Lives and it started in a parking lot on one side of Vancouver and then they drove to the other side of the of Vancouver and they used a low power FM radio station so that everyone could um, hear what was going on. And they wanted to be creative. They wanted to do it in a way that uh, respected social distancing and acknowledged the pandemic that, that we are in. Uh, that acknowledge the disproportionate impact that uh, that it has on people of color, um, and and so they they created this thing and they expected to get thirty to fifty cars and they got fifteen hundred uh, cars that showed up for this rally and wow. so you know we we should be at least as uh, you know how do I say this. Um, 
well, let me just put it this way. My students inspire me and I want to be inspired by them. And so part of this for me is the inspiration that, that I take from uh, our student leaders. Well, and I think there's a big part here, Liz, I'm sorry, I'm jumping into much. No, I just said that's awesome. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think there's, you talk about being on the right side of history. Um, History will remember people who were vocal, not those that that sat back and did nothing. And, and, you know, um, you know, that's the way I feel. And, and, uh, you know, Liz uh, is uh, particularly very active in bringing uh, uh, equity message on her platform and using the edup experience to do the same. And, and, uh, you know, I, I support her in, in that way as much as possible. And, you know, you either, you either going to be part of the solution or you become part of the problem, right? That's, uh, mm-hmm. what you're trying to say is, uh, you know, you have very, you might have students that are in those protests if it's seven miles away. And so they're demanding change. They want a leader who's going to be vocal. Um, and so that's great to hear. Uh, from you. And I think, you know, uh, to your point, uh, Amel, people have played it safe uh, primarily. Um, you know, it's easy to put out a statement that says, uh, you know, I believe this and the university stands for that. And a lot harder to take a stance, if that makes sense. Um, and so, so kudos to you. Uh, but I do want to shift the conversation because I, I, I'm going to, and Liz is going to um, want to talk about this, but I, I was reading on your website, um, you have a high flex instruction model for uh, your upcoming fall semester. Can you talk to us about what high flex means and um, how, how we should understand it? Uh, yes, okay, so your timing is perfect. We surveyed our students um, on um, Wednesday, right after the forum, we sent out a survey to, the student, to our students. Uh, I, I don't know if I said earlier, we have about 3,600 students. Um, and within um, a day, we had over 750 responses from students asking them about um, how they are um, needing to or preferring to complete the fall semester. Um, and, and we have been, uh, as you can tell from our website, we've been working on this um, since March in in terms of professional development experiences and consulting with faculty and supporting them as as they need to shift their classes. But one of the things, so WSU announced as a system that there would be uh, some face-to-face experience uh, maybe six weeks ago now. We were one of the earlier campuses to, to or earlier uh, universities to make that uh, announcement. And the, the so, sort of the way that our, our leadership, our um, uh, IT services, uh, Mike Caulfield, who's our director of blended and networked learning, who's absolutely amazing, um, has, has, the way we've been thinking about this is that there are the students who, because they're at high risk or um, have childcare issues, who will have to remain in a virtual environment uh, in the fall. There are students who are just so desperately wanting a face-to-face experience of some sort in the fall. There are students who um, want to be back face-to-face, but who uh, acknowledge that their situation 
might change. Their childcare or their parent care situation might change. So we did the survey and 25% of the students, this, the survey's still open, but this is the data we got this morning. So of the 750 who took it on the first day, 25% said that they will not uh, have a face-to-face -face experience. Either they, they don't want to or um, for some high-risk reason, they can't. 50% said that they need to be in a flexible environment that gives them the maximum flexibility to um, be face-to-face -face or uh, in, in a virtual environment. And 25% said that they really are expecting, if they're going to come, they want some kind of face-to-face -face experience. So we got those data and, and they sort of reaffirm what we were talking about. The, the reason that all that's important is because when we think about a high flex environment, we want one class to be able to address the needs of all of those students, regardless of where they uh, landed on, on the survey. And so um, the, we have now put uh, cameras in uh, just about all of our classes so that they will be able to be streamed from the, the classroom environment. Uh, we have been posting uh, pictures um, and, and sharing them of how the classrooms, you know, what they looked like pre-COVID and what they're going to look like when uh, people come back because it's going to be such a dramatically different experience, not just for the students, but for the faculty. Uh, I'm, I'm a walker, right? You know, I like to walk around the classroom um, when I do this, but when I teach, but that's just not going to be possible. The, uh, for most of our classrooms, if a faculty member moves more than two or three feet, she's going to be within six feet of the student in the front row and there's no, no longer going to be social distancing. And so just the way those classes are delivered is, is going to change. So we've been trying to put that information out. Uh, we've been having conversations in the lab space because that is the area where most faculty and most students are looking for a face-to-face -face experience. And the, uh, and, and I totally understand that, right? You know, it's, it's our most hands-on classes that, that we have. Um, and, and so we started from this place of faculty, some faculty saying, this has to be face-to-face. -face. Like, All right, let's start from there. Now, what happens if three weeks into the semester, a student can no longer come to class? Childcare issues, right. uh, exposure. Are you gonna force that student to withdraw from the class? No, we'd have to accommodate that in some way. Great. Well, then can we also then accommodate the student who can never come to class and, and create a meaningful laboratory-like experience in, in that way? Um, this summer in our chemistry labs, uh, so, so they didn't call them chemistry sets, but I just, I've been flashing back all summer to my youth and uh, that every student was given a kit so that they could do the experiments that they were going to be needing to do in their homes. And I just flashed back to, you know, my uh, 
11, when I was 11 and 12 and got my first chemistry set and, and what that was like working from home. So um, the, we, we need to be creative in that. And so when we think about high flex, we are thinking about the um, being student driven, providing a high quality, compelling, meaningful educational experience to our students regardless of the format or the modality of the way that they're going to be taking the class. That went on a lot longer than I anticipated in answering that. that, that that's okay. We, we, this is why we, uh, we're all talkers. That's why we do a podcast. So that's uh, <laughs> right in. <laughs> Liz, I know you've got questions in there about Hyplex. Oh, yeah, 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 because I, I'm glad that you gave us such a, a robust description, you know, coming from the faculty um, aspect, and I'm a, I'm a walker, too, so I like to, I run around the classroom. I was talking, when we had the, uh, Gary Carson, we had the interview with him, podcast interview months ago, I was like, I would, I would go into the parking lot and jump in my car and I had to throw my heels off because I've been walking around the classroom for an hour straight, <laughs> so I totally understand that and and you know what I think that it's very informed the fact that you're looking at it and, and trying to be as flexible as possible and give the students as many options as possible Joe and I are both huge proponents of online learning so we know that there are so many different modalities and it's great to see your school is looking at what's best for the students because at the end of the day whether it's online whether it's face-to-face -face, whether as long as we're keeping them safe we want to look at all the different ways that we can best serve their needs um, I noticed that as well Mm. Go ahead. I, I would just add to that that mm. whether it's synchronous or asynchronous, because yeah. you know some stu you know right now so many of our courses are synchronous through Zoom, and one of the things that we had to do in the fall was understand that if a uh, if we had a student who had a child and that child needed to be on the internet, then uh, for for those uh, classes then that student was not going to be available. And so how do we also introduce an asynchronous component in the age of Zoom lectures um, for so that our students can be successful? Oh, yeah. Joe, love that you said that because we, we, we've been talking about that a lot, about the whole idea of synchronous versus asynchronous and how students are not really aware of all of the different um, complexities of how online learning should be delivered. So it's good that you guys are, are being very intentional about giving all these different options and, and ensuring that you're meeting the student needs and understanding that everybody's uh, needs are not the same based on their personal situation. So that's really awesome. And, and do you think that I, I saw that you guys were doing, uh, it sounds like you're being very informed in your decision making and you're bringing the students into it. You're surveying, you're finding out what they need, you're adjusting based on their student, uh, the student's situation and their needs and, and uh, your, the data that you're gathering from them. I saw that um, you guys have been doing a lot of research about COVID and, and just, it sounds like you guys are really getting into the weeds in terms of the, the mental health aspects of it, the safety aspects um, in terms of the health aspects of it. Has that, has that been informative for you as far as how you ensure that you are meeting the needs of your students? Do you think that gives you a, a different um, lens to, to kind of look at some of this decision making? You know, I think it does. The uh, being at a, a research intensive university, seeing so many of our faculty pivot their research agendas so quickly into 
this this space. I mean, this is unprecedented in so many ways. And in higher education, this is one of the ways that I think it's, it's unprecedented. Uh, and then being affiliated with WSU, where um, we'll be doing testing and, and uh, the, the capacity in Pullman to be able to drive so much more when, you, when you're such a large research uh, institution uh, has has been very valuable in helping us um, understand and and define our our approach to it. And and I, I do want to say that well, two things. Um, the the faculty response is part of what has made this possible. Uh, that our faculty care so deeply about our students that they have been willing to change their teaching and their research overnight has been hugely, hugely important to, uh, to this, this work. And I think all of that has really um, informed how, how we have uh, proceeded with this. And then the other thing I was gonna say is that it, it, it I, I care deeply about our students, I, our campus community, uh, but I, I, I want to acknowledge that there's also this piece that is um, the feeling just really insecure about what the fall is going to look like and mm. do the numbers that we're getting uh, every day about enrollment mean anything today you know mm. can we predict anything <laughs> yeah. from the data that we are getting right now and uh, I just don't know and so some of this is even if it's student focused it's also about doing the work that gives us the best chance of building the class that we need to build for the, the fall semester and so I want to be honest that there's that component to it as well. Mel, are you seeing, um, you know, one of the things that's been brought up a lot is, is the, the uh, concepts of a gap year, particularly for the 18 to 22 year old who just says, yeah, I'm taking a year off. Are you seeing that or hearing that with your, your older population that's going back to school or they go, you know, I've done a year, I'm going to take a year off now because of this, you know, pandemic or is, or is that for the younger, uh, the younger folks? You know, um, I, 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 my guess would be at the national level, that's probably for the students who are coming right out of high school and, and going into higher education. Um, because everyone lives close, um, some students, uh, the, the kinds of things we're hearing, some students are thinking about going part-time. Uh, some students, uh, one of the big things that we are hearing is whether there's an opportunity for students who are either at other WSU campuses or at other um, colleges and universities who are going to be um, staying in Southwest Washington uh, because their universities have gone online, uh, is it possible for them to take a lab course or to do a course from us that might have a face-to-face -face component so that they could get that experience. So I think that's mm, some of these, yeah, so we're feeling it a little bit differently, I would say, because of the nature of our institution than other universities might be, be feeling it. Um, the, 
the whole gap year question um, is not really a WSU Vancouver uh, issue. Uh, though we did just have meetings about students who are interested in deferring until the fall. Uh, that is happening significantly in uh, on some of our other campuses that hasn't uh, been um, an issue for us at the moment. Okay. Interesting. Liz, do you have any, uh, any uh, further questions from us? Just one quick question was something that um, sparked my interest in that last um, statement that you made as far as the idea of students being able to kind of take a lab course from you or whatever the case may be. Do you think as we go into the fall and, and beyond, is this everything that's happening with COVID, we know it's very tragic and, and very unexpected for our nation. Do you think it opens up the ability for us to look at collaborating with other institutions or thinking of ways that we can partner and, and deliver education in different ways? Is this opening up, do you think, a little bit of some different modalities that we might be able to do in more of a collaborative manner? I sure hope so. Uh, you know, I I think that um, it the possibility that we could rethink some of the ways that we provide education in a um, a more collaborative way, um, in a way that uh, acknowledges that not every student is needing a degree that some students you know sort of the down the path of uh badges and certificates and mm -hmm. you know thinking about the the educational experiences that students need how do we partner to deliver those i um i i think the budget issues that will happen from corona may force some of these conversations even where we don't want to have them but uh, <laughs> i would welcome them <laughs> you know i mm -hmm. these are exactly the kinds of of conversations we need to have we need to always be relevant for our our, our students and for the communities that we serve definitely well said. Uh, well, we very much appreciate your time, Dr. <laughs> Mel. And uh, uh, there you have it, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Mel Netzhammer, Chancellor of Washington State University of Vancouver. Mel, is there anything else that we missed? Anything else that you want to say about uh, Washington State University of Vancouver that you'd like to uh, leave our audience with? Uh, this is the, the shameless plug section here. <laughs> well, we are we are very proud. We are, I would say we are very proud partners with uh, our local community colleges at Clark College and Lower Columbia Clark College. Uh, I think there is a commitment to higher education in, in Southwest Washington that uh, makes me very very proud of uh, not just my campus uh, but but of. Our, our whole community. It's uh, really been a wonderful experience uh, for me as, as chancellor. And I uh, just really appreciate the opportunity that you've given me to uh, talk about it and maybe boast about it a little bit. 
We're never shy about boasting here on the Oedipus That's Experience. Right. Especially, uh, especially, uh, do, especially uh, Dr. Joe. He boasts a lot. Uh, <laughs> especially since he got his doctorate. Uh, He's been unbearable since he got that doctorate. So. Uh, oh, God. <laughs> I'll tell you, this is the this, this is the premier uh, higher education podcast out there. Uh, you've said it all, uh, Dr. Melnes Hammer. There's there's nothing nothing left unsaid. Uh, we wish you uh, great success uh, and continued success uh, with what you're doing uh, in Vancouver and with Washington State. And we thank you for coming on the experience. And uh, it's been real pleasure and honor, sir. Thank you so much. Hope you enjoyed that episode. To learn more about the EdUp Experience, please visit edupexperience.com. And if you want to be in on the live recordings, please sign up for our email list. Go to edupexperience.com and sign up to be a subscriber. We'll let you know how you can listen in live and get the scoop before anyone else does. So, Please, as always, feel free to share this podcast, rate, review, and subscribe. We would really, really appreciate that. You've been listening to The EdUp Experience, where we make education your business with your hosts, Dr. Joe Salustio, Elizabeth Liva, and Elvin Freitas.